Welcome to a football show, Thursday edition. All technology appears to be working just fine. I have not screwed anything up just yet, but wait, there's still time for me to do that. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And my name is Zach Lines. You can follow me on Twitter at EffortsPod. Zach, how are you, sir? Good to see you today, man. Doing pretty I, good. Doing pretty good. I'm, I, th- about, I still got the cough, but <laughs> I, I think everything else is progressing in a positive manner. I mean, I played some golf yesterday. Ooh. I also mowed the lawn yesterday, and I, I f- I'm feeling pretty good today. I just watched uh, Tiger uh, roll a few shots in here as the PGA Championship is underway, by the way. Um, of course... We've got lots of stuff to do on the show today, and I've never been more excited about a topic than Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban gifting us just manna from heaven as as football fans in the offseason. Uh, as good a press conference as I've ever seen in the history of college football. It's right up there with Mike Gundy and Dan Hawkins. I'm a man. I'm 40. You know, all that good stuff. So we'll, we'll dive into, are they actually angry at each other at all? Or do they just agree and have huge egos? So we'll dive into that. Um, a very long conversation, and I'm, I'm really excited about to, to get your thoughts on this, Zach, which is Derrick Henry, the decline of running backs, his age, his workload, his future, his contract negotiations, or lack thereof, all of that stuff. So we're going to lay out today on the show everything you need to know about the running back position, about Derrick Henry, all that great stuff. Of course, our title sponsor, the Kingston Group. You can check them out, buildkg.com, Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. Zach, if you're going to make a decision that costs you $100,000 or more, I would assume you'd want all the information you could possibly have to make a smart decision. So make sure you check out the Kingston Group. And of course, Zach, where can people find you and all your work on those podcasts and all over the internet? Well, podcasts are anywhere you get a podcast. I am there. And Lebowski joins me, football and other F-words, basically everywhere. I can't think of even a place. Typically, (laughs) if there's somewhere that I'm missing, someone jumps in my uh, mentions and says, hey, you're not on uh, BoxCast or some kind of crazy crap like that that I've never even heard of. But I I then go and put put the podcast on there. As far as writing goes, I haven't written in a while. I've been slacking a little bit, but you can go to broadwaysportsmedia.com. We got some exciting stuff going on there. Uh, We got Articles coming out daily, interviews with undrafted free agents for the Tennessee Titans. It's great stuff. So please check on, head over there and check it out. Absolutely. Broadway Sports Media. You got the Music City Audible. You got the Hot Read Podcast. You got a bunch of other great stuff. All the other great shows, of course, from 440 Sports. You got Club and Country. You got Gold Standard, the Nashville Predators, as they had David Poyle and John Hines. I actually just got back from that press conference as they sort of came prepared to defend themselves. We'll explain a lot of that and what happens in the future for the Preds on the Gold Standard pod. So make sure you check that out. We've actually got a clip coming up a little bit later on in the show for you guys from uh, Sam Pittman, Arkansas head football coach, was our guest on Fringe Element, the SEC podcast here on this network with myself and Aaron Dugan. And we we uh, we actually asked him about Traylon Burke. So we'll play that a little bit later on for you on the show. And maybe a, a little music review um, and some hot takes about some music that are some local Nashvillians and, and some people that are near and dear to your heart, uh, Zach, a little bit later on. We'll lighten the mood a bit at the end after giving people a lot of... Uh, Doom and gloom about Derrick Henry, apparently. So, um, all right. So, anything else? Any other bills we need to pay here before we get started? Because I yeah, cannot I wait. I can't wait to get to. <laughs> I can't wait to get to Jimbo. And obviously, turn all turn all the notifications on. We will take questions in the comment section uh, at the end of the show. We'll do the the mailbag Q and A style stuff. So, turn all the notifications on YouTube. All that great stuff. Uh, we do appreciate all of your support. So, um, I don't think I need to set this up, uh, Zach. We we started this. This planning this show with Nick Saban saying a few interesting things on some microphones on the Fine Bomb show and at a what looked like a booster rally kind of thing 
in Alabama. And then Jimbo Fisher fired back and had his own press conference today at 10 a.m. just to address Nick Saban specifically. Uh, here is what it looked like. And you've read about them. You know who they are. I mean, we were second in recruiting last year. AM was first. AM bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. All right, we didn't buy one player. All right, but I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. It's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen. It's ridiculous, but when, when he's not on top. And the parody in college football he's been talking about, go talk to coaches who coach for him. You'll find out all the parody. Go dig into wherever he's been. You can find out anything. Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his, his deal. You may find out about, about a guy that a lot of things you don't want to know. We built him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past or anybody that's ever coached with him. You can find out anything you want to find out what he does and how he does it, and it's despicable. Uh, a couple of things, Jimbo. First of all, have you had any contact with Nick since? No. Uh, oh, he's called. You just didn't take the call? Not going to. We're done. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think it's the greatest press conference I've ever seen. Um, and we'll, there's a lot to, to unpack here, Zach, right? There's the parody in college football comment from Nick Saban earlier this week on the Feinbaum show. Uh, there's all this other stuff, you know, <laughs> with, with um, the recruiting and the NIL. And if you actually listen to the entirety, by the way, that's AL.com for the Nick Saban clip. And then Jimbo Fisher, that's courtesy of the Texas A&M press conference. Um, <laughs> I, we'll, we'll get to sort of each piece of this and maybe what it actually means. But just I'm, I'm here for the petty, man. I'm, I'm here for the drama. These two have now been going back and forth for a number of years. Jimbo Fisher is the first assistant to ever beat Nick Saban both on the field and in, in recruiting. So give me the adult baby diaper rash, petty ego maniacal drama that who knows how real it actually is. I'm so here for it. That was my favorite press conference in years, Zach in years. I mean, it's, we have it up here, the sec WWE est the West. <laughs> um, it, it's very reminiscent of a WWE promo. I mean, you're talking about sweat spitting, um, references to his his father raising him up which is a lot like a son of a plumber which is a dusty <laughs> roads reference um it, it's it's a ridiculous i i think from top to bottom just a ridiculous press conference you know lane kiffin <laughs> has responded saying that should be on pay-per-view i can't believe what i'm watching um it, it it's it's hilarious so good it's so good <clears throat> and and it's just so filled with uh, classic PR misdirects to try to get the light off of Texas A&M. I mean, he's saying that Saban said that these guys are the uh, 17 year olds and their families are criminals, which is not what he said <laughs> at all. I mean, he didn't even <laughs> say those words. Um, if you go and listen to oh the full gosh. seven minute clip on alabama.com, uh, which is al.com, which is what, where we pulled that video clip from, if you go to and watch the whole clip, it's it's him talking about the pitfalls of the NIL. And he's saying essentially what Deion Sanders said a few weeks ago. What we've said on this show is that there needs to be regulations. Not that these players do not need to get paid. This is not Dabo Sweeney talk. Right, right. It, he encourages players to get paid. He wants his players to get paid. 
it, but Jimbo Fisher, because he got called out, as an example, along with the Miami uh, coaching staff or the Miami boosters or whatever you want to call it, the University of Miami, as well as Jackson State and Deion Sanders, he's using these these as examples. Yeah, not necessarily to attack the programs themselves, but it's to show and give a factual basis for why there needs to be regulation. So it's so I I don't <clears throat> I was I just was at the John Hines David Poyle press conference. We talked a lot about Tannehill, right, and how much he needed to speak to the media. We've we've analyzed Malik Willis and how he spoke to the press. And I I almost all, Zach I don't know about you, but I view press conferences more as judgment of like human psychology and behavior and messaging and PR than I actually do like the substance of their answers about it. Now, Tannehill did give us something of substance when he actually mentioned, Hey, I was in therapy and I was in a dark place. And I think that humanized the situation, but largely when I consume press conferences, I am there to observe human behavior, like, like to see how they're trying. And Nick Saban, whenever he speaks is speaking on purpose, generally to his players or to recruits, Jimbo Fisher is doing this on purpose <laughs> to speak to his players and to recruits. There, it is a messaging strategy. I clearly they may not like each other. There's obviously history there. I used to work for Nick. I am. I just the 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 insults that he lobbed at Nick Saban are just so delectable. Like the narcissist thing, of which of course he probably is. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, let's let's be honest here. Like, come on, everything he said is probably indicative of almost every college coach out there. Football, yes. basketball, it yeah. doesn't matter. It takes a special kind of narcissist or ego to say that my way is the best way and my way is going to win. Right? I mean, that's essentially what a head coach is, is do is to so, do. So there's very serious conversations here about name, image, and likeness, parody yeah. in the sport, the future of, of Alabama football, where it's headed and all that stuff. And we'll get to all of that. But John, John Michael on, on our comment section says they need to settle this with a, with a fist fight. And I'll tell you this, Jimbo Fisher is an avid outdoorsman. He's a, he's a hunter and a fisherman and a, like a, a bowsman, you know, like the bow, bow, bow staff. Yeah. I would take Jimbo in a fist fight over Nick Saban. Who you got? Yeah, I, I think I think you would be right. It, it seems like he has a lot more anger about this issue anyway, whether it's faux <laughs> anger or not. I mean, it kind of seems like it kind of seems to me that he put on a show to, you know, how when someone does something wrong or they're caught in a lie and then they go overboard to try to show that they're innocent by yeah. exasperating the whole situation or being very extravagant in the words that they use when talking to someone. That's what it feels like to me yep. is that Jimbo Fisher is like, well, shit, Nick Saban just said that we paid all of our recruits and uh, upwards of $30 million, which I guess is what it's being thrown out there as a number. But we paid all of our recru recruits because we can't recruit. NCAA <laughs> may start looking at us funny. Uh, so, so let me get out here, deny it right, so right. hardcore that you can't possibly, you possibly, you have to side with me. So, it's kind of what I feel like he's doing. Well, and this you, you tell you like side with me. What's so funny is that they both they actually agree with each other. They both actually agree with each other, which is that they're probably and Jimbo said it in his press conference. There actually needs to be some regulation around this this issue so that there's some understanding and some uniformity. Nick Saban said the exact same thing in the clip that you just that we just played. This is they actually agree with each other. So this is clearly performative to some degree. Yeah. And it's also because he had he beat Alabama last year. He's the first assistant to beat Nick Saban. He just beat him on the recruiting trail. 
he, he's peacocking around, man. He's got his chest all puffed out, and he can do no wrong with Aggies fans right now. So when he gets up there like that, and, he, and this is now, let's get to some of the substance of both. By of the their way, counts. it's the same Aggies group that didn't want Texas and Oklahoma to join the right, SEC. Right. By the right. way, Let, let's get to. I want to get to some of the substance here, but before we do, the last thing that I would caution Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M fans on, generally speaking. When you start daring people to look into your program and threatening the NCAA or reporters or fans of other teams to look into your program that you are perfect and do nothing wrong. And by, by and large, all of the players that signed NIL deals for AM, it's all legal. Yeah. Like Nick, Nick Saban's not saying he did anything illegal. Jimbo's the one who's like going over the top. It's like, it's like you said, when somebody gets accused of like a small crime and then they're like, no, no, I didn't murder anybody. <laughs> you yeah. Know, like, so I, that is a dangerous, dangerous thing to do. Hugh Freeze famously tweeted out, like, if you can find NCAA violations, come at me. And then he gets fired for NCAA violations. So I, I would be careful if I'm Jimbo Fisher in this situation. So, so let's get to the substance on what Saban had to say. And number one, don't, don't insult my intelligence and tell me that the school that has been on probation for level one NCAA violations more than every other school in the history of college football, Alabama did not have any NIL deals or uh, that a recruit went to Alabama and didn't get a penny. Don't insult my intelligence and tell me that Alabama recruits were, were they, they were, they all came to Alabama of their own volition and A&M bought every single one. Don't, Saban, don't insult our intelligence like that, Nick. Come on. You you don't think that there's a little bit of... I, I think where that is coming from is they haven't... Uh, with the NIL deals, they haven't paid people to come to their school under the NIL sanctions or the NIL program or whatever. And if, if, if we're talking about $3 million going to everybody, he, he seems pretty open about what he's doing in the NIL. Now, listen, college football programs all across America before the NIL have been doing dirty deals underneath the table constantly. But we're in a new era. So I think what Saban is doing is is kind of what um, Fisher's doing. And he's kind of like, from here on in, we haven't done anything. So there's before there's BN before NIL and then there's AN after NIL. Oh. And I think that's what he's doing. You don't believe you don't believe that, do you? I like believe you that that's what he's doing. Now, do I believe that that is the correct way to approach it? No. Yeah. But I mean, well, let's be honest. He's a narcissist. He none <laughs> of this is for the altruistic reason of right. the sport. Right. It is for he is he's trying to delay pressing the nuclear button. That yeah, is what a, Nick Saban is doing. He is, is trying to delay the nuclear yeah. button because he doesn't want to be the reason why NIL sanctions become a thing. So is because Jimbo, when he does it, yeah. So is Jimbo Vladimir Putin in this situation? <laughs> is, that, is that what this is? He is an outdoorsman. I mean, if, yeah, if he true. if he was if there was a picture of him riding a bear, I would wouldn't be that surprised. Riding a bear, get the fuck out of here with that shit. Um. Uh, all right. So <laughs> I, now, where do I where do I go back? Oh, so. 
Bryce Young, when Nick Saban brags about Bryce Young getting a seven-figure deal before he even starts a game for Alabama. Ah, if, if, but that, no, he I know already played for Alabama. I know you're going to hide behind, not you, but like Bama fans yeah. are going to hide, which you are, of course, are, are going to hide behind. Well, but he he was already signed. He was already yeah, here. He was. I don't give a shit about those differences. That's not any different. Like you're you're a player on the roster. I, I think that is entirely a different, it's different system. And then what he's re- referencing. Okay. Because there's nothing wrong with getting an NIL deal, right? There's no. no, there's nothing literally wrong with what Texas A&M has done. No. I think those players are kind of silly to go and trust Jimbo Fisher is going to get the most out of them. And they're going to be some Why? championship winning team because I don't think he's that good of a coach. And They've I don't already- think... Oh, see, I disagree with you on this. They've already—he's already done it. He already did it with a freshman quarterback, won a national championship by recruiting this type of player. So, yeah, I just—you know—I I think it's a totally two different scenarios when you're talking about Florida State and you're talking about, you know, this. well, it, SEC West versus the ACC. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that point. So, to your point about the nuclear button, I will—I will agree 100% on this. For those people, and I disagree with Nick Saban on a lot of his comments this week. I do not—I think his parody comment is completely incorrect. I agree with his theory. We all would like more parity in college football, but Alabama is the is the most guilty party in all of college football in terms of tipping the imbalance of resources. Like Alabama has the most resources of anybody in the world. So like, don't give me that crap about how you want. There's always been, there's never been parity. So I agree, I agree with his theory that we should have more parity. I agree, and I agree with his theory about the name, image, and likeness that this is out of control. It's unsustainable. All this other stuff. But you're absolutely right. It is a threat. He threatened us. It's also a threat to the booster, or maybe not a threat, but it's also a plea to the boosters to say, hey, it's time to pony up some money because I'm I'm about to go to war. It's not even a plea. Like, he knows he's got it if he wants it. Like, if he wants Alabama boosters to line up behind a recruiting class, it'll happen in two seconds. Like, like, I think people people would literally shoot themselves in the face if Nick Saban told them to. Like, Alabama fans. Like, I I think he can say whatever he wants and, and people will do it. What this is... This goes back 10 years now, more than 10 years. He tried to put in a new law, a new rule with college football to slow down offenses. That wasn't him being scared of the spread. That was him threatening us with the spread. <laughs> like then he tried, then he was like the transfer portal. Now it's, it's, it's always something with him about like the rule changes and, and what he's doing is he's not scared of anything. He is threatening us, telling us, if you don't get this in line, I will use it to murder you. And that I is think what, that's been that's one of the most happen. laughable things to come out of this is that, well, Saban just doesn't have the funds to to pay these people. <laughs> that's ignorant. That's the most. You're talking about a guy that owns tons of Mercedes dealerships or, right, or right. across the the nation. He's got LLCs upon LLCs, money upon money, boosters upon boosters. He's got the money. Yeah, he is. He is warning everybody. That if you guys do not start regulating this, that college football is going to go in a different a different way. And let me say something. The uh, smaller schools, I get that players can get paid. You know, they, they have the funds, but they're, they're out of their depth in NIL. I think there was, it's not the parity that you want, but it's enough. I think there was more parity before the NIL and people think there's more parity after the NIL, which I really don't think that's going to be the case because that's like saying that there's parity in the NFL when you have the Jets and the Jaguars continually picking in the top and they're spending the most money. The money does not change the level of production on the field and the results necessarily. Maybe it doesn't NCAA, but in the NFL, 
teams that typically spin more are the ones yeah. that are constantly yeah. spinning more and constantly churning out roster spots. And that's what's going to happen here. No, it, it, I always say this to be like the NFL is the most socialist sport in our country, ironically, uh, because it is completely dead even across all everything, right? Player acquisition, salary, ca- everything is even in college football. It's the exact opposite. It's the most capitalistic sport in our country, which is he, he who has the gold gets the players. That's it. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it's been for, for 50 years since integration. Who We have 15 to 18 schools that win every single national championship in college football because they have the biggest budgets, period. And now, I don't it, think that's going to change with no, NIL. No. It's just Saban's about to go. He's literally about to go nuclear on, on the NCAA. And then everybody's going to be like, well, why was he complaining about it? Seems very hypocritical. Right. He was warning you. Right. No, no, I, I completely agree with that point. Now, yeah. I will take his parody comments, I think, were short-sighted. Because even in his comments on the Feinbaum show where he said, he basically was like, yeah, health. health we got the comments. Oh, you want to play? Let's, play? let's go ahead. Here was Saban on the Paul Feinbaum show about parody. Well, you know, I think one of the things that I'd like to see us be able to work back to is you know, everything in college football has always had parity. You know, same scholarship, you know, same academic support, health care, whatever it is. And, um, you know, I don't think we have that balance right now, which could affect, you know, the parity of college football and co- college athletics as a whole. So, um, and I know we got a lot of good people working on it, and uh, I'm sure they'll come up with a good solution for us. Zach, the two things he even mentions there after scholarship limitations are academic support and healthcare, And I'm like, no, no, those are two examples of the lack of parity because there's no way Troy University or the University of Troy, which is it? You're from Alabama. I don't, I don't remember. Troy is, is, does not have the same academic support and healthcare support and resources that Alabama does. Like there has never been parity in our sport. So I completely disagree with him. I think his theory is correct that we want more parity and his warning about NIL is, and I think this is where the sec could step in in either instead of Congress or the NCAA, the sec could say, look, if you come to an sec school, you get 50 grand a year done. And that levels the playing field for all 14 teams in terms of how much you get, you can pay a player. And that is kind of what Saban has alluded to for weeks now that he wants in the system. Yeah. I I think that parity is the wrong word for him to be using for his messaging. And because yeah. when any when you have a that's like Bill Belichick in the 2000s saying, yeah, the NFL really has a parity problem. Well, I mean, you're the <laughs> one winning all the championships, right? I mean, Nick Saban is the one winning all the championships. You know, that's where your messaging is losing people is when Nick Saban's bringing up parity. The SEC, that specifically Alabama, is not a great example of parity. And, and he does say not on the field. Right. He's specifically right. talking these right. other things, but that's still not the word that you want to be using. You want to be using words like trying to make things equal for everybody, equal playing ground, right. equal battleground, whatever you want to call it. You know, the SEC has media deals. These power five conferences all have media deals. My my solution would be to really go towards what the SEC or the NFL has. And I think that if the SEC media deal is one thing, thing then a percentage of that money needs to be split among the 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 uh all the colleges right so there's some funds then you can you should have a cap on booster donations cap on outside businesses that aren't booster you you have to have a cap recruiting budgets yeah recruiting budgets and and the reason being is that these are 17 year olds that are probably not really in a position to be making these decisions 
by just looking at a number on the paper. And I don't blame them by just looking at a number on the right. paper, but there are ramifications of look at how much Alabama has made players in the NFL. Oh, That's yeah. not being taken into their account because they're seeing a front loaded deal. You know, uh, this Travis Johnson guy that has that ditched uh, Florida state, right? Tra- Travis ditch, Hunter, Travis, Travis Hunter, Hunter ditched yeah. Florida state for Jacksonville uh, state. Um, Jackson state. Jackson state. Was that the right move? for your career going forward. I mean, that's what I'm thinking of is that do you, is the level of competition good enough to be put on tape for your NFL? I, I I think that's a great question. I think, you know, we've got Eddie George here at TSU doing the exact same thing. Um, I think those two guys specifically, because they're sort of celebrity coaches, they're great football players. It doesn't make them great coaches. I think huge is it Hugh Jackson. I think that's a, a head I coach think now, OC, right? Is he a head coach or an OC? I think somewhere? he's the head coach of, of an HBCU. Now the NFL will find you wherever you go. So it doesn't really matter where you go, but to your point about development and level of competition. Now, maybe he wants to play quarterback. Maybe he got a better offer. I, I don't, that's, that's for him to decide. And like you said, we can, you know, do 17 year olds make always the right decisions for themselves. Probably not, but that's part of the growing process. You got, you got to learn and, and you got to do it. So again, this is, this is all about to explode. If we don't have some sort of regulation, and in the meantime, we get to watch Jimbo Fisher get really pissy at Nick Saban for just saying like the thing out loud. It wasn't like I don't. And like, nobody it, said anything when Deion Sanders said it, right? Yeah, a couple not, of weeks ago. I mean, he literally been saying the same thing that um, Nick Saban's saying. Yeah, and this is this to me. This is the back. This is about their backstory. This is about yeah. their connection, their careers together, him working for him. Um, I the the the. <laughs> everyone thinks he's God <laughs> go dig into God's past go dig into how he got to become God my and one of my favorite ones at the very end by the way that was Olin Buchanan good friend of the show that was asking that question um down in college station he he said something like he was asked about because they've got the meetings are next week all these all these coaches are going to be together and destined for the SEC it's gonna meeting. be fantastic they're going to do away with divisions probably and have this whole new scheduling thing and and in the meantime Jimbo, Jimbo Fisher's being asked if he's going to get in a fight with Nick Saban, basically. And he's like, I, I'm afraid of confrontation. <laughs> like it's, it's so good. So here's the last bit of thing. Here's the last uh, thing. We'll move on to the Derrick Henry conversation about his, his decline and if it's going to happen and carries and touches and all that good stuff. Um, this was Aaron Suttles. He works for the athletic has covered Alabama for a long time. This was him a couple of weeks ago on the fringe element podcast. Check it out. Rate, review, subscribe, sort of talking about, what we're going to get from Nick Saban in 2022. And I think he was right on the money. No bigger uh, proof of that than last year when he, he basically realized that he couldn't coach last year's teams very hard because they were, they were sort of mentally fragile. They were inexperienced. They were younger guys. So he was more positive forward facing to the media with that team than I've seen any team with his. Because I think he knew I can't coach these guys hard. And I, and I do wonder sort of where the game is right now. Although I don't, I don't particularly think he concerns himself with the portal. I don't think he's going to change the way he coaches, scared that he's going to lose a guy to the portal. I think he just realized overall, for me to get the best out of this team, I have to be more positive. I tend to think that's going to revert this year because I think he's got excellent leadership. I think this is going to be a mentally more strong team. So I think he'll we'll see more sort of meltdowns from Nick, Nick Saban this year. <laughs> right. But I do think, look, I mean, he, he was very positive with the team last year. He was, I mean, he – I had to, you know, I had the infamy of having my baby in a press conference and he took that really well. He didn't scream at me. He didn't yell at me. <laughs> I do think uh, the older age and him being a grandfather has softened him somewhat. 
So that was Aaron Suttles of the Athletic talking about Nick Saban, and here's here's what here's the ultimate point. I think everyone needs to wrap up this conversation with. Nick Saban loves his team in 2022. They will be preseason number one. They are the odds-on favorite to win the national championship. And I think you're going to get, you know, the cuffs are off, the, the gloves are off Nick Saban all summer long. We've already seen it now. He's willing to say whatever he wants, which when he does that, it means he thinks very highly of his team. I, I To me, this is a very confident Nick Saban, very confident in his roster in 2022. Well, as he should be, because Georgia lost, what, 15 players to the NFL draft? I mean, it's it's going to be really hard for them to make up that ground and stay competitive, at least with Alabama. Um, and then there's who else is there to be really scared of? Yeah, sure, Texas A&M just got all these great recruits. But let me tell you something. Jimbo Fisher's coming into Tuscaloosa. And <laughs> after that whole fiasco and him ignoring Nick's phone calls, it's going to be a disaster. Oh, I, think. I think it's going to be an utter disaster. <laughs> it will be brutally ugly. If he thought he had a chance to beat Saban in Tuscaloosa this year, after beating him last year, uh, you got no chance now. You got no chance now. Yeah. So a and going to be very good. They're a preseason probably top five, top eight team. They're very good. They could challenge for the West, but they're not going to go into Tuscaloosa and win that game now. There's no, no, no chance. So, all right. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, sweet baby Jesus, for that one, Jimbo and, and Nick. We really appreciate it. Uh, uh, appreciate God um, giving us some some quotes this week <laughs> on the microphone. All right. So uh, before we get into Derrick Henry, real quickly, uh, we had a chance to talk with Sam Pittman, Arkansas head football coach on the Fringe Element podcast this week. And it's not a long answer. It's a really short answer. But I, I want to do some self-promotion here and tell everybody to go check this out. This was his comment, Sam Pittman, Arkansas head coach, about Traylon Burks and what he brings to the table off of the field cares more about the team than himself. I mean, that's the, the probably the biggest quality that he has. He cares about his teammates. He cares about winning uh, more than he does how many passes he catches. And now, if winning says I have to catch 12 passes, well, you know, then he's going to do that as well. But he cares way more about the team than he does himself personally. Well, it's All okay. Right. Sam right. Pittman deserves more airtime, Zach. He deserves more. And it, 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 what's so funny is the juxtaposition of like Jimbo Fisher acting like a giant grown ass baby, Nick Saban doing what Nick Saban's doing, and then Sam Pittman, who's just like a guy's guy. He's just a ball coach, and he's just sort of like flying under the radar. Hey, I got a pretty damn good team. I, I'm very transparent. It was a great interview. Sam is an excellent guy. Go listen to him. And I think everything he said. I know it sounds like coach speak about Traylon Burks. But but he's not Sam is not a guy that is just like blowing smoke up people's ass like that's I think I believe everything he says about Traylon Burks there. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I think Malik Willis, his quarterback coach, is also saying stuff that makes you feel good about the direction of this team for the future. Yep, there you go. So go check it out, Fringe Element this week. You got all kinds of great stuff every single week on that show. Aaron Dugan and myself. Okay, so the Derrick Henry decline. Um. He's got two more years left on his deal. Why don't you set up the contract situation? Because Jeremy Fowler had a, a quick little blurb at, at ESPN.com about how the Titans might be open to renegotiations. But we're going to focus on what does the next few years look like for Derrick Henry on the field? And what role is he going to play with this team? So the, the, the decline of Derrick Henry, is it a thing we should be concerned about? Uh, the contract, real quick, 2022 is uh, 12000 base salary and a $3 million signing bonus with a $15 million cap hit. He has a $15.5 million cap hit next year. They could technically cut him after June 1st and save $12 million against the cap in 2022 and split 
the signing bonus, which is always your dead money because it's fully guaranteed, that three, that six million that's owed to them over two seasons and do three million per year, 2022 and 2023. If they cut them next year, they save 12.5 against the cap after this season, and they only have a three million dead cap. So obviously, Derek Henry is staying here. Obviously, according to reports, that probably his side of the camp is getting out, is wanting probably, hey, I'm about to turn 30. I need a little bit of money thrown my way, you know, possibly in 2024, maybe 2025. And I think that's where it's at. Um, the contract stuff, I think they're they're trying. I don't think he's holding out, but I think they're just kind of trying to shake the money tree. Yeah, I think that I think that's fair. And we'll get to sort of what you think is going to happen with Derrick Henry and the Titans coming up in a little bit. But I, I do want to spend some time looking at the workload, the age, the carries, what it does to the body. I've said this all along, Zach, about Derrick Henry. He is the human evolution experiment playing out in real time. This is evolution, the human body versus the NFL. And, and Derrick Henry's human body is extraordinarily rare. It is just a unique specimen that was that, that was probably more physically gifted than anybody else that's ever played the position. And he is going, they are going, Mike Vrabel is testing human evolution against the NFL defenses by feeding the football to him. So let me give you a couple of quick numbers and then I'll let you go here. Generally, the drop-offs for running backs in the NFL in the modern era occur around a few different benchmarks. See if these sound familiar. Around 28 years old is when, in general, you, you ascend until 28 and then you decline after 28, generally. You ascend in your first six or seven seasons, and after that, you decline after about the seventh season. You ascend during your first 1,500 carries, and then after 1,500 carries, you begin to decline. Derrick Henry is 28 years old. He has had He's going into his seventh season in the NFL, and he has 1,401 carries. Those are three ominous numbers if you believe that Derrick Henry can sustain 400 touch seasons which is what he has had back-to-back years in 2019 and 2020. Then he got hurt last year. We all know what happened. That's sort of the framework for the running back position in general in the NFL. Yeah, I I think that there is a there's a few scenarios that are kind of they can all happen at the same time, but they don't. They, it can only be one. Maybe only one of them actually happens. And I think a <laughs> excuse me a statistical decline isn't necessarily a bad thing. You can still get a 1,500-yard rusher. He may never get back to 2,000. But is that necessarily a bad thing? Because if you think about it, what may contribute to that is that the Titans are uh, passing more, which is what everybody wants. You can't you can't be a team or a fan that's been screaming since the offseason the Titans have to find a way to pass more and get A.J. Brown the ball more, right? That, I mean, that's what everybody's been saying. Well, you know what that means is that Derrick Henry's not getting the ball. Now they have many more capable pass catchers than they've had probably at any point under Derrick Henry's tenure. As far as, I mean, you're talking about three to four wide receivers. You're talking about two tight ends that are pass catching tight ends. And now you have Hassan Haskins and uh, Hilliard which are all pass-catching running backs, there's not a real reason for this team to have to rely on Derrick Henry. So in my mind, when you look at what the Titans tried to do and try to pay A.J. Brown, they were trying to build around A.J. Brown. It didn't work out. That does not mean that they are giving up on their aspirations to move on from Derrick Henry. 
So everybody's up in arms about this uh, football folk or football outsiders article where he points out a, a little bit more in depth than what you just did. The, the breakaway tackle percentage and missed tackle right, percentage, right. you know, numbers that don't really tell the whole story, but tell some of it. He's due for a decline. If you think that he's coming back to be a 2000 yard rusher, I got bad news for you. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Uh, and that, that is not a bad thing. That's no, not an I, indictment on Derrick Henry. I think that if you're looking at Derrick Henry, and <clears throat> I think that this team right now is built to take the load off of Derrick. Why do you think they drafted Hassan Haskins, who isn't Derrick Henry in terms of explosiveness, but is a big-bodied running back that could take some pressure off of Derrick Henry? Yeah, a, a between-the-tackles guy that likes the physicality. I mean, there's going to be a lot of uh, there's going to be a lot of outrage. Derrick Henry may not be in at the goal line, and it may be Hassan Haskins. There is going to be different issues that arise between probably passing a little bit more with Tim Kelly, because that's what everybody's been wanting. You got more capable pass catchers. You may fall behind, so you may not give the ball to Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry may take a while to you know really kick into gear. There's different things that can happen. Will Derrick Henry be 2,000-yard rusher? No. Will Derrick Henry be still one of the better running backs in the NFL? Yes. Will he be the best running back in the NFL? Probably not. But that's okay. It's not a pull the alarm yeah. or jump into the dimensions <laughs> of article writers to bash them and say, you're doubting Derrick Henry. It's the same people who... We'll say, you know, they'll look at the Giants, right? They're talking about the Giants coming up on the schedule, and they'll say, well, I just don't really have faith that Saquon Barkley is ever going to get back to post-injury form. But they go and turn around and say that Derrick Henry I absolutely will. Now, if anybody can, it's Derrick Henry. But there is no definitive answer in my mind that says that Derrick Henry will get back and be a 2,000-yard rusher. I would say that that is a very unlikely scenario. I, I completely agree. And I do think that it's just not that big a deal if he's a 1400 yard rusher. Like I, like if you're a thir if he has the ball 250 times for 1300 yards, that's a pretty damn good production out of your running back. And so the, last year going into the season, what was interesting is, is those same metrics I just used to describe sort of where the decline starts. It sort of pinpointed exactly the guys that were qualified for that going into last year. And actually Derek Henry's on the list last year, but it was Zeke Elliott, Le'Veon Bell, Derrick Henry, Latavius Murray, Carlos Hyde, and Devontae Freeman. Guys that were in and around 28 years old, in and around 1,500 carries, in and around six to seven years in the league. Every single one of them had their worst career season <laughs> in the NFL last year. So the metrics don't really tell a lie. And, and Derrick Henry, 409 total touches in 2019, including the playoffs. 418 total touches, including the playoffs in 2020. And we know what happens to the human body when you touch the football over 370 times, 380 times. You literally saw it happen last season. year when he got injured. Yes. So, like, again, Larry Johnson has the career record at 416. Never topped more than 874 yards after that. We know that uh, Jamal Anderson tore his ACL after his big season. Terrell Davis tore his ACL after his big season. Edger and James tore his ACL after his big season. I mean, Eddie George went from 3.7 yards per carry to 3.0 yards per carry. And he still had three 300 carry seasons afterward, but wasn't very productive. Like he he was still there every game. So that that sort of is a difference maker. To your point about Derrick Henry being capable, 
there are only a handful of guys that have been able to do what we think we're talking about here with Derrick Henry. Eric Dickerson is one of them, um, who's just Eric Dickerson. Right. <laughs> I don't know what to say there. Uh, Ricky Williams went back-to-back seasons, but then we know what happened then. He sort of like wandered off to Australia. Marcus Allen, get this. Marcus Allen had 380 carries in 1985. He played 12 more years, but he never once had a 1,000-yard season after that. So like it, it's going to DeMarco Murray had one great season here in Nashville after his 2014 year and then was retired by 29 years old. Like you just your body just can't do it. And so we're going to find out if Derrick Henry can do it. I think he can do it for a couple more years. The question is, do the Titans want to pay him to do it for a couple more years? I, I think you're looking at a I, like I said, I, I think statistically you're looking at a 1500 yard rusher with probably double digit touchdowns, which is good. That's great. But it's, it, yeah, it's it's technically great. But isn't that technically still a decline yeah. for yeah. Derrick Henry? Which is why I say that the decline part is not that big of an issue. Because he reached a height, and we've seen him reach heights that very few running backs do on a consistent basis. He will be able to reach heights again, just not the heights that he had reached. They'll just be different things. And does that mean that the Titans should be... <laughs> trying to keep him here longer than 29, 30 years old. And yeah, I, yeah. Oh, I think that's just bad business. And I think that Derrick Henry knows that. I think Derrick Henry knows yeah. that running backs aren't important. And I'm on the wrong side of the running back viability timeline yeah. here uh, in my career. J James Wilder famously had another good season after the 1984 year where he carried 407 times. And then he was an average running back after that. Gerald Riggs was part-time. He had 397 carries in 1985. He was a part-time player two years later. Barry Foster went for 390 carries in 1992. He played nine games the next year and 11 games the, the year after that. And then was done just two more years after that. And he was done. Jamal Lewis is an interesting one because he had a lot of carries about even with Derrick Henry, had that 2,000-yard season, very similar to Derrick Henry. He then was arrested. <laughs> and I think he was like suspended for like all kinds of weird stuff. I think it was like drugs and whatever. He did have four 1,000-yard seasons after that, but was clearly never the same player. Walter Payton was great for a few years after his heavy workload, but then was done by 87. So that was three years later. Uh, it, it's just, it, there is not really, I mean, other than like Jamal Lewis, Eric Dickerson, like in the big scheme of things, you're looking at a running back that is going to be <coughs> used as the main work, main battering ram for a running back by committee. That's his career now. His career is I'm going to, he's like Brandon Jacobs and um, yeah. I think it was Tiki <laughs> right. Barber. He's going to be basically, yeah, yeah Brandon yeah. Jacobs running through the tackles, getting a little bit explosive but they're mainly going to be transitioning to a different running back. And I don't think there's an issue with that. The issue comes down to the money. I, I do have a comment that I want to throw up here on the screen. And the only problem with passing more, it means trusting Tannehill more. How many fans trust Tannehill to do that? Right now, I'd say not many. And I would say in response to that to Kenneth, is that I think you're asking the wrong question. How 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 does the staff feel about their trust in Tannehill to do that? Yeah, because that's what matters. Who yeah. cares what the fans think? The fans don't don't matter with what the staff thinks and how they implement a game plan. So I think the question is, do you feel that the that the, that the team trusts 
in Tannehill to pass? Because I feel like they do. They've let him do it before in the yeah. regular season. And I, I think that if you're going to ask a question about trust, trust in, is going to come from the staff side. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. The fan, what the fans think doesn't, doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Now, I'll get to your prediction on what you think the backfield looks like in 2023 in just a second. But I don't think that... I think to step back from even just the Derrick Henry conversation and the Tannehill conversation and what the staff wants, I think it's very clear that John Robinson has a vision, longer term, probably a three three to five year vision of where his offense needs to be in three to five years. And it probably doesn't include either Ryan Tannehill or Derrick Henry. And the idea is to evolve, and you've been on this for a long time, to evolve the offense into a more progressive modern offense, because at some point Derrick Henry is going to decline. I think it will be slowly. I think he's going to have a good year this year and probably another really good year. He could probably have three more good seasons in a Titans uniform if they wanted him to. And I think the Titans are actually, we can finish up with the, with the contract here. I think the Titans are in a great situation to keep him for two years if they want to. Use him up all they want to. Get him to 30 years old. And then if they need to cut him, they can cut him. If they want to bring him back as a part-time player, they can. Or he can go test the market and go play somewhere else. I think they're going to get two pretty good seasons out of Derrick Henry and that and that will probably be it. That's my prediction. What do you think the Titans' backfield looks like in 2023 after this season? I, my gut tells me that it's going to come down to a one-year extension where they take this uh, 12-5 base salary and they uh, turn into a signing bonus and split it up into 2024. I think that's a likely scenario, which means that they get them for one more year. So three, the- three more total from today. Yeah, from today. So you get 2022, 2023, and 2024. But the pragmatic business side of me thinks that he's gone after this year. And I think that is why they're putting that out into the media because they know that fans want Derrick Henry to stay here. But in my mind, I'm thinking that the smart business move is just to cut him because you have Hassan Haskins. And if you don't, if Hassan Haskins doesn't work out, running backs are a dime a dozen. And I really do think with the addition of Malik Willis, with the way they attacked the draft, with getting three pass catchers on top of Robert Woods and Austin Hooper, who they'll probably re-sign or find another tight end later, they are in a position where I think Tannehill, Lawan, and Derrick Henry, (laughs) at least two of the three are all gone. I mean, at least two of the three. And I think that that is the smart move to go forward because that's obviously what they're planning about. Younger, cheaper, better, right? Yep. That's what they've said, and they, they're they're flashing it neon lights. They're not pissed off that Derrick Henry's not at, at OTAs. They're, they don't even care. He's never been at OTAs. I, I, I don't even think his first year he was at OTAs because he went to uh, get graduate. He had to go graduation right, right. or finish up school. Oh, you remember, do you remember how big a deal that was in the oh, media? My gosh. Oh, my It was utterly so ridiculous. Stupid. I mean, everything how, about how that. How dare you graduate from college and get your degree, yeah. asshole? And they're already overblowing this because they're and all this stuff. Listen, Mike Vrabel loves Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry's a leader on this team. He does yeah. not care that yeah. he's not here for OTAs. But you know why? Because he's he's taking care of himself. I mean, everybody yeah. sees yeah. the workout videos. We know that he's you know pulling Careful. you know a USS battleship you know onto shore from the middle of the ocean <laughs> because that's what he does. This not- this idea that him buying a house in Dallas means anything? What? 
Oh, actually, you know what? That would be that would be perfect. I would love Jerry Jones to overpay Derrick Henry at age thirty-one. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, he's already overpaid a, a running back. Right. They should never pay that much. Yeah, money. yeah. Uh, isn't it funny? Like, exactly. Don't hey, did we forget that the same station that is talking about Derrick Henry buying a house in Dallas told everybody that well, Aaron Rodgers bought a house in Nashville. He's coming to Nashville. Yeah, he's coming to Tennessee Titans. Real estate doesn't fucking matter when you've lived in a state your almost your whole life, and maybe that's where your family lives. You're just keeping stuff open and Real- diversifying. He bought into Nashville SC. He obviously loves Nashville. Yeah. He obviously loves being in Tennessee and being a Tennessee Titan. And he and he loves investing smartly with his money. Like right. let's let's like, be give me a break. I mean, yeah, everybody's got to be like fucking detectives reading into <laughs> the smallest stuff. He took. He took the, the word Titans off his Instagram bio. What are we going to do? Oh my uh, God. But 5.4 yards per carry in 2020 for Derrick Henry. 4.3 last year before the injury. That was he was he was already 1.1 yards per carry worse than the year before. So I, I think the decline is coming. I think it will be slow because he's a special player. But I think fan and because here's your if they if they walk away from Derrick Henry after this season, the fans will not be happy about it. That, that there will be a revolt from the fans. There's no question about that. And so, listen, don't say it, we didn't warn you. Yeah, it's, because I've been I've been saying it on yep. the football owner efforts for about a few months now that I don't think that Terry Henry is long for this team, and yeah. that's okay. It it is okay because the Tennessee Titans got to get more modern. They have to quit relying on the run game to make everything move and let the two entities of the pass game and the run game be separate entity that can successfully be performed without the other one having to be good. Do you think he's, do you think Vrabel's got some Kirby smart in him though, where he just, he wants that evolution to happen, but he, but he wants it to sort of be pretty slow and he's okay with it being a a slow transition. Yeah. I think we have seen a slow transition. I think last year you would have seen a totally different offense if people had stayed healthy. I mean, we got to remember that Julio Jones and AJ Brown couldn't stay in, in games to save their life. At the beginning of the year, there was no chemistry in the passing game. This is a totally different environment that they're heading into. I think you would have seen if if everything had gotten off to a better start health wise, chemistry wise, I think you would have seen a lesser load for Derrick Henry last year. But maybe because the passing game would have been a threat. That maybe he would have had more running lanes and still would have had more explosive plays that matter and affect the game. Fewer stacked boxes would be nice yeah. for, for Derrick Henry uh, in terms of the workload. So there you go. There's a total breakdown of where they're going to be, what they're doing with Derrick Henry, and what it could look like in the future. And to your point, be, be careful. Be warned. Zach has warned you, Nashville. He has told you. Just be ready for this. I, I think he's here for Emotionally prepared. Yeah, exactly. And I, you're I, talking I, to an Alabama fan who has loved Derrick Henry since he's been <laughs> in Alabama and could not believe that he's playing for my my – favorite NFL team yeah. and he also got two 2000 yards but the realistic point of view to take about the NFL business is that running backs don't matter yeah uh, it's it's unfortunate but uh he's a heck of a dude he's grown up here it's it's been a it's been a lot of fun to watch him become the guy that he is and uh, there's never again, been a successful holdout for a running back by the way so that's why I don't think Derrick Henry's holding out he has zero leverage to hold out no and again I think this is a very team friendly situation for the Titans they don't have to negotiate this they can just keep him and and run run with them for two more years and then decide whenever they want to to let him go. So we'll see what happens. Um, speaking of some stuff that you love here, let's wrap up the show. Um, you've got, if you ever 
if you've seen this show enough times, um, or Zach and I doing work together, or Zach doing any t- anything ever, <laughs> you you see that backdrop behind him, and he's got a couple of records sitting up there. And uh, first of all, one hot take about the Black Keys, because you've got it sitting up there in your in your uh, shelves there. Yeah, I think turn I think Turn Blue is the worst Black Keys album. Yeah, the only reason I do have this up is because of my New Day figures. They are in blue and purple as well, so it matches the album. I don't understand any of that sentence. The New Day is a wrestling uh, faction. Okay, all right. I, I appreciate they're, the they're tra- wrestlers. I appreciate the translation. No, I, I'm not a. I like old Black Keys, so I want your thoughts because you're a diehard Black Keys fan. I also am a huge fan. Um, I want I want your thoughts on the new record. It came out last Friday. My five and four year old daughters love Wild Child. They walk around screaming Wild Child all the time. Uh, it is as it's one of the hookiest Black Keys songs I've ever heard. It is fantastic, and I I. I can't believe it's not on a car commercial yet (laughs) but but um your thoughts on the new album very good album i i like it but i think it's different i think it's very different i i think that it's um it's weird i think is the way to put it i would have it as background music if i'm doing work like if i'm riding that's going on if i'm grilling or i'm at the pool and i don't need to listen to music it's it's a great album for that i think it's poorly laid out and then the final song they get back to that kind of hard blues you know bluesy atmosphere and then all of a sudden this really loud guitar riff just plays over the music i i I just it i had a hard time with the transition from song to song it didn't seem like it was really cohesive in my mind it like started off really good and then it kind of dips into this big lull and then it goes up really quick, really sharp. Yes, like yes. Track nine and ten. And then it's over. Well, burn the damn thing down is fantastic. I love that. It's track number seven. And then baby, I'm coming home is really good. I love the first couple tracks. I'll say this, and I th- I think there are two types of Black Keys fans. There are Black Keys fans like me who love Magic Potion, Thick Freakness, the big come up. Like I I fell in love with the Black Keys in like oh four oh five. Right. It was very raw. It was unproduced. It was very bluesy heavy junior Kimbro influences, which is Dan Auerbach's favorite blues man. They've done an entire album. Their Delta Karma. Is that what it's called? Delta cream. What's it called? The last one they did. Oh, uh, was a, it was a complete, it was a complete cover of all junior Kimbro songs, I believe. Or that cream. And then uh, the, the Chula Homa is also one of my favorites, which is a, like a seven song EP early in their career, which, which is all blues covers. I love the early raw stuff more than I like gold on the ceiling. El Camino brothers, turn blue i do love the 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 pink one high low I, I or um what's that yeah that's the name of the record right the the pink one the most recent one that one's really really good i love this album because it reminds me of early black keys i i just felt i just felt like it wasn't enough of leaning into the blues i i felt i felt like it got lost a little bit like it was kind of blues but it wasn't and at one point, I, I was listening to the song, and I was like, "Is this?" I can't remember which song it was. I said, "This kind of feels like the Eagles. Like that's kind of <laughs> what it felt like to me." How, how long? It's probably how long is yeah, probably, probably. The one that it feels like. You know, the only thing I liked about the El, uh, El Camino was "Little Black Submarine," which to me I think is a just a fantastic. 
Song. I just love it because I love the guitar riff, the hard guitar riff that comes the build in. up, the the yeah. live build up to the to the crescendo is insane. Yeah, uh, in that in that album, I, 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 I this left me wanting more. I I do like Delta Cream, even though it is a cover, and I do prefer their earlier stuff as well. Okay, than this, I, I just kind of was felt felt a little let down. Let's rock. I, I don't know why I forgot the name of that. Let's rock the is the pink one, which I think is very very good. Um, I. I yeah, give me rubber factory and thick freakness. I, I love the old stuff. And so this this reminds me of what I would put on at night when when I before I had a wife and kids. <laughs> if I was sitting up at night like doing something silly and I'm just kind of relaxing and it's quiet and it's dark and it's peaceful and every the all of Nashville has gone to bed and I and I was sitting in my downtown apartment or whatever watching the 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 inter, like the interstate go by, I would put on like Chulahoma and just like sit quietly peacefully, drink some whiskey and relax at the end of the night like that. That's where this album hits with me. But I think you're right. Wild Child feels like this El Camino, like Gold on the Ceiling Brothers modern stuff. And then they hit the blues stuff as they, it's kind of a weird, I, I acknowledge it. it like saying. it goes into blues. It, it, Wild Child right. transitions you into blues. And then all of a sudden you're in the middle of the album and you're kind of, and it's only 10 tracks and you're kind of like, what, what am I listening to? Yeah. The How Long song is the one that throws yeah. me off, which I think is the one you're talking about with yeah. the Eagles, where all of a sudden it sounds almost like R&B and you're like, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are we doing here? Real quickly, uh, uh, one more um, one more note on a music review uh, before we do that. Of course, make sure you check out Zach on F-Words because we're just about done here. Make sure you check out the Kingston Group, buildkg.com. Um, obviously, the Cast Collective Studio, we were going to be in the studio today, but there's some work going on, so we're going to be back. We've said this now every every episode, we're going to be back, but we promise we will be back in the Cast Collective Studio in the heart of Music Row, in the heart of Nashville. Cast underscore collective, of course, on Instagram. Uh, anything else? Broadway Sports Media for writing. All the other great shows across the 440 Sports platform. Here, here's the one thing. Turn on the YouTube page notifications. We really appreciate the support. Um, I will say, I saw Billy Strings at the Oh, Ryan did you? at the rhyme in a couple of nights, a couple of weekends ago, I had, I, I think I could make the case that he is the best guitar player I have ever seen live. I would put him up there with Gary Clark jr. Probably as the two best guitar players, maybe Jack white at the pure talent skill. It, it was unlike any show I've ever seen Zach. It, it was like grateful dead meets widespread panic meets black keys meets bluegrass. Like I've never seen like he he switches from electric to acoustic on the same guitar and never changes and does like 15 minute jam sessions, which I realize is not for everybody. But like it was it was unlike anything I've ever seen, dude. And and his skill and his talent is extraordinary. And, well, that's what uh, I've heard. I mean, and I've seen a few clips here and there of, of his show at the Ryman and I'm all in. I, I think that's that's good shit. We, like, we that's were at the shit that I love. We were at Railbird Fest uh, last two, last year, and my morning jacket was on the main stage, and Billy Strings was on the other stage at the same time. Like they were the main headliners, and the Billy Strings crowd was almost as big as the jacket crowd. Yeah, and that that to me, that's I had never seen him before, and I was like, why are there just as many people at this other guy <laughs> that I've never heard of as my morning jacket? And we watched him for a few minutes, and I was like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> right, it, it was extraordinary at the Ryman. So go check that out. All right. That just about does it. Check out all the podcasts. Turn on all the notifications. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll be back on Monday to talk all things in studio, Titan. Finally, because I know someone asked that. I'm, I'm finally allowed in studio. <laughs> yes, you've been you've been QT'd for a while. So um, again, special thanks to Kingston Group, Broadway Sports Media, F Words Pod, 
Lebowski, all the guys over there at Broadway doing a great great job. All the other guys for 440 Sports, men and women. Uh, make sure you check out all those shows. We really appreciate all the support. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. I think that's just about it. Zach, always a pleasure, my friend. My name is Braden Gall. Thanks for hanging out with us. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you Monday, 1 o'clock, right here on a football show.